Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you are listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, October 18th. This week we're going to talk about judges, dog racing, and schools, and maybe some more. I'm joined as usual by Max Brantley. Hey. So a Senate committee this week approved the nomination of Lee Rudowski to an Arkansas judgeship. This is pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he several interesting things about it. Number one is normally the person chosen for a judgeship in the state is somebody with long-established political ties and is would be an archie. Rudowski's kind of a late arrival, and partly because a lot of other candidates for the job fell by the wayside for various reasons. So he, uh, he came to the state to work for Walmart a few years ago, and he's a Federalist Society pure ideologue from the conservative end of the spectrum, worked a couple of years for Leslie Rutledge. I, I think you can say about Rudofsky is legally he's qualified. I mean, he's not an idiot and he has experience in the courtroom and has experience at the appellate level. And so he's qualified. I mean, he'll be terrible politically for those of us who would like to see a more moderate bench, but at least he's qualified. Unlike a lot of other Trump judges uh, who are just thoroughly unqualified. He got some tough questions from Democrats. He's carried anti-abortion water for the attorney general's office. He filed some amicus briefs opposing same-sex marriage. He says now on, on sober reflection, he was probably wrong on those things since that's now the law of the land. So he says he won't upset that, but in any event, he'll, he'll pass muster in the Senate because the Republicans control it. I don't think he'll get many uh, democratic votes. Okay. Uh, Judge Chip Welch has announced for a seat on the Arkansas Supreme Court, held now by Joe Hart. We've talked about this in the past. Right, but this could be could be one of the most interesting uh, political developments in the primary season. The, the situation is this. Joe Hart's uh, seat comes up in, next, in the next election. She will be 76 years old by the end. If she runs and is elected, she has to forfeit her retirement benefits, which includes disability benefits, which is when you're 76 years old, you might be concerned about that. I say that as somebody about to be 70. So anyway, uh, there has been a long-running rumor, and it's only a rumor that nobody wants to confirm <coughs> that she was not going to say anything about the re-ele- re-election plans until the last minute, then retire and allow Leslie Rutledge to file unopposed for the office. Their old friends, uh, Leslie Rutledge was once a law clerk for Joe Hart. Whether that's true or not, don't know, but Chip Welch finally decided that although he didn't have particularly have any problems with Joe Hart, she's been an independent justice that the prospect of the seat going without opposition to somebody who'd run a partisan type campaign required him to file for the office. And he formed an exploratory committee and he informed Joe Hart that he was going to run. And he says her response to him was, well, go ahead. She didn't give a, a solid answer on whether she would or would not retire. But I think he took that to mean that she probably is planning to retire. Does that mean Leslie Rutledge is going to run? Does that mean they have somebody else to run? Don't know. What we do know is that if somebody else does run besides Joe Hart, they'll be identifiably Republican, although it's a nonpartisan race. And even coming in late, they won't be at a disability to raise money. Chip Welch has been out raising money already because dark money will flow in. The Republican State Leadership Committee spent a million dollars in the last Supreme Court election. They'll spend that much and more. It'll be a short, brutal, ugly race. And Chip Welch will be depicted as a tool of the trial lawyers. He was a leader of the Trial Lawyers Association. He's actually 
represented a wide range of, of uh, clients over the years in private practice and his second term on the bench. I don't think he's done anything that will immediately cause him problems. Partly he doesn't handle criminal cases in court, and so they can't cherry-pick some case where he ruled in favor of a defendant and use that in some terrible kind of ad. But they'll find some case he was in and blow it up into something terrible. He says he'll fight facts with facts. But I think we don't yet know who the opponent will be, but there will be an opponent, and it will be another one of those really ugly Supreme Court races. It's very important because the Supreme Court already has at least two strictly partisan operators, Rhonda Wood and Sean Womack, they get three or four on there and curtains are over. There's some talk Doyle Webb's wife, uh, <clears throat> the chairman of the state Republican Party, might run for the office. She got an appointment as a judge in Saline County. She's a nice person. Uh, the, the reviews on her there were that she wasn't very decisive, not a great characteristic for a judge. But uh, with her name and and the presumed, the imagined R behind her name, uh, she'd uh, probably do well. Okay, and those elections are in March. In March. Southland Gaming this week proposed to end Greyhound racing at the racetrack and casino in West Memphis. Well, I want to pat myself on the back and say I alone among the Arkansas press gave a hint that this was coming in the middle of September uh, because the humane organizations that have been campaigning to end Greyhound racing nationally succeeded in Florida and said Arkansas was next. There are only a handful of places where Greyhound racing is still underway. So it wasn't really a surprise that this has happened. It was kind of surprising it happened as quickly as it did, actually. Uh, but Southland now has the has full protection as a licensed casino. No longer operates under sort of some shady legislative dealing that let them run electronic games of skill, so-called. The amendment that was passed last year gives them full protection for a full range of casinos, and they're they're handling $3 billion a year in wagering already because they tap into this hugely lucrative market across the river in Memphis. So they said the end is coming. Delaware North, the big national corporation owns the track, is happy to get out of Greyhound Racing. It's only happening in about five or six other tracks anyway. And so they worked out a deal with the 16 kennels that provide dogs for racing at West Memphis. And it'll be a windfall for the kennels. It'll be a three-year phase-out, but they didn't disclose the financial arrangement, but it has to be rich. We know already that the, the new amendment that allowed casino gambling sets aside a huge sum of money on all gambling revenue for purse awards at both the dog track and the horse track. Well, at the horse track, they can use it to bump up the purses and bring in better horses and do more races. But at, at West Memphis, that's carved up among 16 operators, and apparently about four of them get most of the money. Well, it's currently $33 million a year in purse awards. And so there's some kind of deal that's been worked out to buy out the kennel operators over a three-year period. And we're talking about splitting up. I don't know, $100 million maybe. I mean, it's this is money that doesn't go to the track anyway. And so Delaware North gets out of the unprofitable dog racing business and can concentrate on casinos, which are very profitable. The one little wrinkle in this, and the Racing Commission approved this, this was a foregone conclusion as long as the kennel operators were not happy, is what happens to the purse award money that goes to, Southland now when the Greyhound racing is over and somebody on the racing commission said well we'll just give it to Oaklawn I mean 
I can't emphasize what a windfall this amendment was for Oakland and Southland. It cut their state tax tremendously. It's worth millions of dollars to them already. And then if Oakland gets this double whammy of getting a doubling of their purse awards because all this gambling revenue goes into their purses, that's that's really great for them. Of course, they're going to keep racing thoroughbreds. They may become the preeminent racetrack in the country because they're going to have so much purse money to award. That's the theory is when you get the really high quality horses, the people come and it's great for tourism. And there's some truth to that. Horse racing itself, though, has problems, too. I mean, they're, they're, they have the same problem of injuries to horses, and Santa Anita, which is one of the leading tracks, has had this series of horse deaths. And the sellers operate a good track at Oaklawn, has a high reputation, do a good job. But, you know, I don't know that we cannot envision a day where horse racing gets held in the same way that dog racing did, although horse racing has a lot more fans than dog racing. Dog racing was really kind of a a dispiriting, quote, sport, unquote, to watch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's move on to a topic that uh, has has been on our docket for weeks and will continue to be, and that's the future of the Little Rock School District. This was the first week in, in many where there wasn't really any big significant news, though uh, there continue to be rumblings about a teacher strike and... The uh, the Waltonites are marshalling their forces in the messaging campaign. Right, and I think the message campaign is part and parcel of my theory that Asa Hutchinson, the school choice crowd led by the Walton Family Foundation and, and their various actors, really hope there will be a strike because they don't think it would be popular and that, that they it would be good politically for the teacher. It would just once and for all give them the proof of how awful the teachers in the Little Rock School District are, that they care so little about children that they'd walk out of their classrooms. And in in that vein, uh, two things happened yesterday that were kind of tells to me. One was uh, at the meeting of the Community Advisory Board, the powerless group that nominally gives recommendations on operation of the school district to Johnny Key, who then does what he intends to do in the first place, and it's a puppet board anyway. Uh, they passed out flyers at the meeting last night from the Reform Alliance. Well, they didn't pass them out. They were just there. Well, they were there. They were placed there yes. so that they could be picked up. Uh, <clears throat> that uh, talked about the low test scores in the Little Rock School District and helpfully told you about all the places you could go to school besides the Little Rock School District. Well, the Reform Alliance was started by the Waltons. It's nominally set up to funnel school voucher money. <coughs> to people who qualify through the school voucher movement. They get tax money now. They get money from the Waltons. They get money from the National School Choice Association, which is also funded by the school choice crowd. And they spend a lot of their money not so much on scholarships, but on their various lobbying or grassroots informational activities, let's call them, like passing out sheets of paper like were passed out last night. So there was that. And they were started with the seed money from the Walton Family Foundation. Also yesterday teachers in the Little Rock School District, and they weren't too happy that their email was accessed to do it. I, I think a lot of those emails are public, however, that they got a mass mailing from the Arkansas State Teachers Association, which is a declared opponent of unions, and it's uh, supposedly an alternative to the Arkansas Education Association. Uh, the, its, uh, its critics don't think it provides much in the way of, of either legal assistance or educational support 
but it does have some little insurance program. Some people think it's just to make money for the guy who runs the insurance company. But in any kids, its leader, Michelle Lynch, has been a frequent critic of the district and of the teachers' union particularly. And again, this is a group that was founded with seed money by the Walton Family Foundation. So, you know, it all it all just, and then you've got out there the public school resource center that's doing this kind of stuff. For, for one week, Gary Newton in Arkansas Learns, another Walton-funded organization, was somewhat quiet except for continuing his steady drumbeat of, uh, of, of social media posts about how crummy the scores are in the Little Rock School District. So all of this is just kind of contributing to this notion of this is a failed school district and the biggest problem is the teachers' union. And if you want proof, just look at those sorry Deadwood teachers who are striking. Right, which was echoed by the Democrat Gazette editorial page. Right, in the Democrat Gazette editorial page, which, of course, is run by. And I was reminded today of a wonderful, a wonderful, terrible thing. And I was there and covered it, and I'd forgotten about it, was uh, when the North Little Rock School Board, without notice, shut down the North Little Rock Teachers Union 10 or 11 years ago, just without notice, said, you're gone, we're canceling the contract, be gone. And the president of the school board at that time was Lynn Hamilton, who's the general manager of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And his only comment about it says, we needed to do this for a long time. Well, they finally did it in Little Rock, too. And, of course, the newspaper just couldn't be more thrilled because the only reason teachers union, I mean, they depict the union as this malevolent force. They overlook the fact that a union is nothing but a collection of its members, human beings. Teachers. Teachers, people. And, 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 of course, and you cited in your article today, and I, I wrote a blog post about it, Little Rock gets hammered because it has comparatively low starting pay rate for teachers. And some of that is a product of, of concentrating some money at the higher end of the pay scale. It's true. But for the longest time, Little Rock School District paid for nearly the entire cost of health insurance for its members, and those payments are not taxable as income. So that dramatically influences how you value compensation in Little Rock versus districts where they pay very little for teachers' insurance, for one thing. The other thing is, is insidiously, the, the enemies of the Little Rock School District and its teachers' union wants you to believe that the problem are all these washed up, tired old teachers. I mean, this is the Teach for America thing, is bring in some young, bright college kids, work them for five years, burn them up, chew them up, spit them out. But we've just got all this dead wood out there. Well, I can say, and I think you're learning, but my kids spent a combined total of 25 years in the Little Rock School District. I love these old teachers. I look back on my own high school experience and my best teachers were the ones that had been there for 30 years and loved their work and understood their work and knew how to reach kids. And, you know, I won't say every single teacher my kids had in that time fit this bill, but an incredible number of them did. They were wonderful. And I I just, I think that people have been very, in a very sophisticated PR fashion, led to believe that somehow these human beings are just part of this machine monolith of a union that's a bad thing. And I think Ernie Dumas wrote a great column this week that tied racism to anti-unionism in Arkansas. We pass a right-to-work law on the strength of the Dixiecrats and the segregationist revolt. And, I mean, there a, was a real linkage between racism and anti-unionism. And that's what we have in Little Rock today, and, and people just kind of buy it. I mean, I, I think... I will say I can't prove this, but I believe in my heart of hearts a big part of the success of demonizing the Little Rock School District is not only because its students are overwhelmingly black, 
but it has one of the biggest black workforces in the state. And it plays on that embedded white superiority, racism that we, listen, we all possess, that we unavoidably possess is that somehow, maybe not through their own fault, they're just not as competent as us white folks are. Right. Well, there was a line in the Democrat Gazette uh, editorial today that, that said something about the, the district had protected a special class of people ahead of students. And it's, you know, it's pretty clear what that means. Middle class, black teachers and administrators. Yeah. And, and the presumption is they hold those jobs only by racial preference. Right. And, and I can tell you, my kids had black teachers and they were great. Yeah. Now, has the, has the LRSD done everything perfectly? No. No, no. no it, They've made mistakes, and the school board was, in its day was sometimes painful to watch. And, and yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, human beings being human beings, all are not perfect mistakes are made. I mean, this is, you know, and, and this is the biggest issue in the state. It has a lot of money. It has the, the biggest news organizations in the state to watch over them. And so these and, – and now it's overwhelmingly poor and black. And its test scores in those neighborhoods are like every other major city of its sort. They're low. Yeah. And, but it's blaming it on the teachers. It's so easy to do, and it's so wrong. It is. Okay, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. Yeah, I guess I'm just, you know, I just, the same rant over and over again. Well, well you got to keep saying it. Maybe somebody will listen. Maybe, I don't know. Well, I, I don't really have an endorsement. I did watch the Breaking Bad movie. I was disappointed. I haven't watched it yet. It's getting really good reviews in a lot of places, but I, I just I was confused. It was, I'm just. Have you watched Breaking Bad recently? So no, I, I didn't go. But I mean, I was an avid viewer of it, right? And I mean, I was. I mean, I wasn't. I hadn't forgotten Jesse and all, but it was just. I don't know. It was just. It was too hard for me to follow. I'm just getting old. That's all. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I know you don't really listen to podcasts, but if you have a hankering to, I would encourage you to listen to the latest episode of Reply All, which is one of my favorites. Uh, it does a deep dive into uh, something that went viral while you were gone that I'm sure you probably saw. Uh, and that was uh, El Dorado resident Willie McNabb tweeting at uh, American Treasure Jason Isbell, singer-songwriter. Uh, after the El Paso shooting, oh, Jason, the feral hog. Jason Isbell tweeted about there being no reason for anyone to have an assault rifle and this guy Willie McNabb tweeted to Isbell legit question for rural Americans how do I kill the 30 to 50 feral hogs that run into my yard within three to five minutes when my small kids play and that just made the internet go nuts like people made jokes for several days about it the New Yorker wrote a thing piece there were t-shirts it was on and on I saw it um but Reply All, which uh, delves into internet culture, interviews McNabb and then explores the, the actual like very serious problem that feral hogs are. And it's really interesting. And McNabb, to his credit, and, and this emerged soon after he came to the spotlight, seemed like a very reasonable guy. He handled it the way, you know, you'd like anyone that's briefly emerges in the spotlight to. He said, you know, I thought it was funny. A lot of the jokes. Um, he, he said that, you know, he, he, he agreed that, uh, we needed to do something about guns was not, 
you know. Well, did they talk? I read an article somewhere, and I can't remember how well sourced it was, but said that assault rifles, they're not really good enough to get the job done. I mean, well, he said, yeah, you can kill a lot of things with an assault rifle, but not all of them at one time. And and they're out there reproducing like crazy. I mean, the biggest, bigger problem is dealing with the reproduction rate of these things. I mean, it's just. Well, that goes into it. Yeah. He, he said he didn't own an assault rifle and he'd killed some with a shotgun before, but, um, but he said that, you know, he was for gun control. Um, but anyway, it, it is, I, you know, that feral hogs are nuisance was not a shock to me. My family has some land and, in and White they're County. Huge, and they're, and it's a huge nuisance. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And feral hogs have, have come onto this land, and um, I'm sure I would be really frightened. If no, they I've got a friend in Texas who owns land in the hill country. It's beautiful spread, and they come and root up as well. He doesn't grow anything, but they root up as wildflowers and just make the place look like shit. So he got a rifle, and what he, he, he's got some traps, and he traps some, and he kills some, and... He's finally killed so many that there's some, in the Austin area, being Austin, there's some, you know, nouveau restaurants that are happy to make wild boar meals and stuff. But they finally got so many, and they said, please, no more. I mean, we, we're handling all we can handle. It's become this huge sport in Texas where they kill oh, yeah, they're helicopters from, from the air, yeah. and drones and yeah. their TV shows. Anyway, it's a good thirty minute or so. Well, uh, yeah, I'd be, I'm kind of interested in the whole feral hog thing. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Subscribe via your favorite podcast source, and we'll be back. Yeah.